everyone. Welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location in Belmont, Massachusetts. My name is Brian. I pastor that location, and it is good to talk to you again. If you were with us last week, then you heard James in his book remind us that our life is short. Maybe you don't even need that reminder. Maybe there's plenty of things happening around you right now reminding you that time is limited on this earth. So the question, the big question for us is, how do we make the best use of the time we have? In the passage we're going to look at today, James tells us exactly how we are not to live in the time we have, and then he tells us exactly how we are to live. It's an important message, so I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe that God has something he would like to say to you. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you ever had a time in your life where someone has said something or something has happened, and all of a sudden, it woke you up to the fact that time was passing quicker than you ever thought it was? You ever had something happen like that? Where someone says something or someone does something, and you, you, all of a sudden it just hits you that things are moving quicker than you realized, right? And maybe it, it, happens, it happens throughout the course of our life. Maybe you get to the point where you look at yourself and you're saying, man, how is it that I'm about to graduate high school? I was, I was in middle school yesterday, and now here I am. I'm about to graduate high school. Or maybe you're in a position where you're saying, I'm about to be done with college, and I can't believe I'm already at this place in my life where all of a sudden I have to go out into the real world and find work. Or maybe you walk into your office one week, and your boss puts your 10th anniversary gift on your desk, and all of a sudden you say to yourself, how in the world has it been a decade that I have been in this job? And every so often... Something happens that just reminds us uh, time is moving. Time is moving and time is passing. A couple of years ago, I think a number of years ago, about 15 years ago, time flies, I, uh, I took a group of young people uh, to a trip in Pennsylvania. And so I was a youth pastor and some of the, the students, we went to Pennsylvania and we went to this uh, small uh, steel town, uh, former steel town that had really been economically impacted by the decline of the steel industry. And so we were doing things that week like handing out food and handing out clothes and painting houses. And we had a free day uh, to go explore the city of Pittsburgh. And one of the things that we did was we went to the Carnegie Science Center, uh, which is right there by the sports stadium. You had Heinz Field and, and uh, PNC Park for the baseball team, and then, and then this Science Center is right there. So we walked into the Science Center, and one of the things that they have in the Science Center is they have what they call the Quake Cafe. And the Quake Cafe is this little booth. It uh, looks like a booth that you'd find in a diner. And on the wall where the menu for the bo- for, would normally be in a, in a diner, they have buttons. And the buttons are for different famous earthquakes that have happened over the years. And what you do is you hit the button, and the entire cafe booth shakes uh, the exact same duration and the exact same intensity as what it would have been like to be in that earthquake. And so the, the lamp up top swings back and forth, and you get to experience what would it have felt like to be uh, in Chile in the early 1900s and experience this or whatever it is. And so we were hitting the different buttons that are there, and they were all earthquakes that had happened a long time ago before, you know, that I would have never remembered. And then we got to the last one. And the last one said October 1989, San Francisco, California. And all of a sudden, for me, I was sitting in the booth with two or three of the, of the youth. And all of a sudden, for me, the memory started flooding back. 
I remember exactly where I was when that earthquake happened in October of 1989. Maybe you remember too. The San Francisco Giants were just about to play the Oakland Athletics in the first game of the World Series. And I was going to watch game one of the World Series with my friend Daniel, who lived about a three-minute walk away from my house. So the game was about to begin. I left my house. I walked the three minutes or so over to Daniel's house. And by the time I walked into their living room, everyone was looking at the television, and they were watching the announcers now talking about this earthquake that had just happened on my walk over. And maybe you remember, it was a devastating earthquake to the city of San Francisco, and and the top of the Bay Bridge fell into the bottom of the Bay Bridge. Maybe you remember those images. And it's so clear in my mind where I was and what the pictures looked like and the things that I saw that day. And so I was saying to the youth as we were sitting in the booth and we were swaying back and forth and experiencing this earthquake, I said to them, I said, I said, that's what was happening to me. What happened to you that day? And they said something back to me that rocked my world. They said to me three words, we weren't born. And all of a sudden, I thought to myself, man, how quickly is time passing? How is it that I'm able to remember this so clearly, but these students that are old enough to come with me on this trip have zero recollection of this at all? In fact, they weren't even born when it happened. It happened to me again a couple years ago. I was teaching a college class, and I started talking about uh, 9-11 in that day. And the students that were sitting with me in college had zero memory of 9-11. It was just something they had read about something they had read in the, in the history books or online, but they didn't remember it happening. And all of a sudden, I thought, man, time is flying by, and there's nothing I can do to stop it. When has it happened to you? Maybe, uh, maybe you see a child that you haven't seen in a number of years, and you can't believe how big they've gotten. Or maybe, maybe you just look in the mirror one day, and you're like, holy smokes, time is flying by. But these things happen every once in a while, don't they? Where all of a sudden we realize the truth, that life is short and our time is short. And it rocks us a little bit when it, when it hits us, doesn't it? Last week, if you were with us and we're walking through the book of James together, in fact, we're going to be in just a couple of moments in James chapter 5, James reminded us of the truth, that time is short in this world. In fact, this is the way James said it. He said, your life is like a mist that's here today and gone tomorrow. Now, James isn't being morbid there, and he's not saying to us, your life is insignificant. He's not saying to, you, to us, our life doesn't matter. All he's doing is drawing our attention to the fact that in the perspective of eternity and in the perspective of even just human history on this earth, our time that we get on this earth is quite short. And for all of us, it goes quicker than we really want it to. And so then the question becomes, well, how in the world are we supposed to spend the time that we have then? If that's true, if life is so short and time goes quickly, how are we supposed to spend our time? And in the verses we're going to look at today in the, in the book of James, James tells us very specifically how we are to not spend our time. First, in the first verses that we're going to read, he looks at one group and he says, don't be like these people who spend their time this way. And then he says to us, instead, be like these people and spend your time this way. And so if, if it, you're thinking about life this morning and the transparency of life and how quick it goes, this is an important passage 
Because if our life is short and we have such a, a short amount of time and it's going to go by quicker than we want it to, then we ought to seriously think about how we shouldn't waste our time and how we should invest our time wisely. So here's what James says to a group of people that he says are not spending their time wisely. And specifically here, James is talking to a very specific group in these first six verses of chapter 5. He's talking to wealthy people that lived in the community in which he was writing, a group of wealthy people that were not followers of Jesus, and that is who he talks to in these first six verses. And this is what he has to say to them. James doesn't pull too many punches here. This is what he has to say. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. I don't know if you can tell, but James is not too happy with this group of people. He does not think that they're investing their time wisely. In fact, James is talking to a group of people that live by the motto that actually, if we're honest, many of us live by and certainly our world lives by. And that is you wake up and you realize my life is short. And the motto that this group lives by, the motto that our world lives by, and the motto that, quite frankly, many of us end up living by is this. Life is short. Live for today. That would be the message of most of our world. Your life is short. It's going to go quick. So do you know what you should do while you're here? You should amass as much stuff as you can. You should do and make decisions that value you over other people, and you should enjoy everything that you can enjoy. Now, James has a message that's quite the opposite of that message. James says there's a big problem if we spend our lives just amassing wealth. There's a big problem if we spend our lives exploiting other people. There's a big problem that comes if we live our lives selfishly. In fact, the kind of person James is, is talking to here, I think very specifically, is um, kind of like a, a woman that lived a while ago. Her name was Hetty Green. Uh, we have a picture here of Hetty. She lived, she was born in 1856, 1846 in New Bedford, Massachusetts, and she died in 1919 in New York City. Now, when she died, Hetty was one of the wealthiest people on the face of the earth. She inherited some money, but really most of her wealth came from her really savvy investment strategy uh, over the years. She invested in things like Civil War bonds and other things that, that ended up having a huge return. And Hetty, when she died, was worth about $100 million to $200 million, which in today's money is somewhere between $2.5 billion and $4.25 billion. So she was quite famous, not only for her wealth. She was famous for a number of reasons. She was famous for her wealth. Uh, she was also famous because, as you can imagine, uh, there were not a lot of women on Wall Street in that day. There still aren't today, and certainly back then, there were not a lot of women actively working on Wall Street. And so Hetty was, uh, was a trailblazer in many ways. 
she was a woman who was actively investing and very successful. In fact, far more successful than many of the men who were uh, on Wall Street during that same time period. Now, there's another reason that Hetty Green is famous. And if you were to open up the Guinness Book of World Records, you would see that she holds one of the Guinness Book of World Records, and that record is for the world's greatest miser. Do you know what a miser is? A miser is someone who has plenty of money and refuses to spend it on themselves or other people. And Hetty was famous not just because she had a ton of money and not just because she was a woman on Wall Street, but they called her the witch of Wall Street uh, because she was not very nice in how she dealt with her money. In fact, the stories go and the historians say that she never turned on the heat or the hot water in any place that she lived, that she would wear her clothes until they literally fell apart and she was forced to buy new ones that she would only wash the hems of her clothes because that's what was dirtiest in order to save money on soap. Uh, One time she spent an entire night searching the bottom of her carriage for a two-cent stamp that she was sure that she had uh, dropped. And the historians say that she would spend about 15 cents a day uh, on food, that there were certain pies that she would buy, and they cost about 15 cents for the day, and that's all she would eat. When she got married at age 33, she was also way ahead of her time because she made her husband sign a prenuptial agreement that said he could never touch her money no matter what. And when her son broke his leg after she was refused from the free clinic that was only for poor people, she took him to the cheapest doctor that she could find, paid the bill, and historians say her son's leg never fully healed as it should have. And you can tell from the picture, she's a happy lady. Uh, She was enjoying life and enjoying all of that money. Now, here's the thing. James would come to a life like Hetty and say, well, there's a life of just amassing wealth for no reason. There's a life of using other people and stepping on other people to get what you want. There's a life of living selfishly. And even though she didn't spend all that money, it was still a very selfish existence. And James would point that out and say, that is no way to live. And my guess is you hear Hetty's story and you say to yourself, that is no way to live, right? None of us want that life that I just described, I don't think. None of us want that to be our legacy, that we had a ton of money and wouldn't spend it uh, on ourselves or other people. But here's the challenge for us this morning, and here's the thing we need to think about. Whether we, we like to admit it or not, there is a little bit of heady in all of us. The idea that life is short and so you you should amass all that you want and you should use people for your own gain and that you should live selfishly, uh, there's a little bit of that inside of all of us. In fact, uh, it starts when we're children. Think about children. Children have their toys and they have their stuff and it's all where they want it to be. And then another child comes along and says, can I play with your toy? And they say, no. And the child says, but you're not playing with it. It's just on the shelf. And the child still says, no. And why not? What do they say? It's mine. It's mine. Doesn't matter that no one's touching it. That's mine. Don't you touch it. And it starts when we're children, and it continues in our lives as we get older. Anytime we have the attitude that would say, that's my property. That's my thing. Don't touch it. Get off my yard. Get out of my space. There's that thing inside of us that we are living our lives to amass all the things that we can, 
that we are living our lives to use other people to make us better, that we're selfish with what we have. I think that when we hit passages like this, we can easily write them off for ourselves because we heard James and he said, he said, oh, I'm talking to the rich. And we hear that and we say to ourselves, well, that's not me. I'm not rich at all. So James must be talking to someone else. I would suggest that if you traveled here in a car this morning, or if you're in a situation uh, that you can pull out your phone, hit a button, and two days later, a package will show up on your doorstep, that globally speaking and historically speaking, we're very rich. And our world has this motto that life is short and that we should live for today. And so there is the temptation that we face every day to just amass things for ourselves. And it doesn't even have to be that we would be amassing things that cost a lot of money, but that we would be putting our trust in the things that we own and the things that we have. James says in these verses, that's completely foolish because that stuff doesn't last. Anything that you would collect, anything that you would store, whether it's, it's money or some other valuable that you would have, James says eventually it's going to corrode. Eventually it's not going to be worth what it is today. Eventually, you're going to die, and you can't take it with you, right? Even the fact that Hetty was worth $100 million in 1919, and that's $2.5 billion today, speaks to the value of the things that we, that we collect. The money is worth less today than it was then. And James reminds us, don't put your trust in things that are going to go down in value, that if you don't spend them and don't use them, if you don't use them to better your life or the lives of people around you, don't put your trust, don't try to find your security there. But our world would tell us something much different, wouldn't it? Get everything that you can while you're here. And James also says, don't be like the business person who uses workers and then doesn't pay them. Don't be like the business person who uses people and doesn't pay them. And in fact, he even says at harvest time, which means something very specific in James' day. That means not only are there business people that are not paying the people who are working for them, but they're also doing it at harvest time when their barns are the fullest, when their cash is at its highest point. They're still not willing to pay the people that are working for them. And now we may not be in a position where we are paying people for working for us or we're deciding salaries for people. But we ought to ask ourselves, do I use others to get the things that I want? Will I enter into some sort of relationship or friendship or business relationship where I can't figure out how it doesn't benefit me? Often we're only willing to talk to the people that we can see that how us talking to them benefits us. We like how they make us feel. They make us a better person. We can see how, how having a relationship with them will benefit our career. And so we'll talk to them. But if we can't figure out how that other person will benefit us, then we don't necessarily spend a lot of time with them. James would say to us, that's just living for today. That's no way to live your life. And so rather than writing this passage off as to somebody else, I think the wise thing for us to do is to say, okay, this is the mantra of our world. world life is short. Live for today. Am I doing that? Am I just amassing things for no reason? Am I exploiting other people in some way? Am I living selfishly? And I think if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have places in our lives where we would say, you know what? I got to stop only talking to the people and spending time with the people that I know will benefit me in some way. 
I got to stop just living this life like all that matters are the things that I can accumulate and the things that I can earn. And James offers us a warning. And the reason James offers this warning is because of what he says in the next section of verses. James says, don't live like this. Don't live like life is short and so today only matters. That's what our world would say. That's what most, of, uh, most people would say. James says, don't live like that. Instead, live like this. And this is what he says in verse 7. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers. And now he's shifted. That word brothers is important there because he was talking to the non-Christian rich person Now he's talking to the believer. So if you call yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, James is talking to you. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts. Why? For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In fact, this is what I think James is saying to us. James is saying, most people would say to you, life is short. Time is passing faster than you can keep track of. So live for today. But James reminds us of something important and tells us how we should live. He says this to us, life is short, so live for tomorrow. Life is short, live for tomorrow. And James reminds us of something that we can often forget. And that is, my life and your life takes place within a much larger story, and it's God's story. And especially at Christmas, we ought to to be reminded of this and remember this, that yes, Jesus came, and he did great things here. But there's another truth about Jesus that we ought not to forget, James says. So we celebrate that Jesus came, that he was born into this world. We celebrate what he did on this world when he died on the cross and was risen again. But there's another thing that we ought to remember about Jesus, James says. And in fact, for those of you who grew up in the Catholic Church, I know that's a number of you, for those of you who went to Mass every week, there's a grouping of words, and it's often saying, I'm not going to sing it for you, that reminds us it's actually helpful that every single Mass, people would be reminded of this truth. And it goes like this, and some of you will remember. Christ has come. Christ is risen. Christ will what? Come again. again. That's right. Every single time. Christ has come. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. And the truth of that ought not to be missed. And when you hear it over and over and over, the challenge with some of those things is it just becomes something people say. But the reality of what is being said, we should not miss. It's a reminder that our lives are taking place inside of a much larger narrative. That yeah, Christ has come, and yes, he died on the cross and rose again, but Jesus is coming back again, James says to us. And we ought to live our lives, James is saying, as if it could happen at any single moment. And it's so easy for us to forget in our lives that this is happening, and it's also difficult sometimes for us to want it to happen. When you think about many of the songs and and, uh, many of the spiritual songs will call for Jesus' return, or the old hymns 
will we'll ask for God to come quickly. When life is difficult and life is hard, there's this thing that we, we want Jesus to come back. We want it to happen. We want to see God face to face. We want to have that moment. But our world in many ways has gotten to a place uh, for many of us where it's a comfortable place. We like this world. There's a lot of good things here, and there are. The danger in that is we start saying to Jesus, our mindset becomes, you know, Jesus, come back in a while. There's some things that we want to get done here first. Come back, but just we want to have our kids do this first, or we want to accomplish this in our lives. We want to see this first. I want to get to the Grand Canyon. I want to see all these things. Uh, Come back, but just wait for a little bit. And when that is our attitude, we start living with the mantra, life is short, and we're going to live for today. James says, no, 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 don't wait like that for the coming of the Lord. Don't wait with, with one foot in this world and, and one hand saying, just, just give us some more time. James says, we should be expectantly waiting for the coming of the Lord. That it could, to, we should be mindful of the fact that it can happen at any moment. Even Jesus said, he doesn't know the day or the hour when it's going to happen, but God does in heaven. And by the way, you should be wary of anyone that tells you they do know when this is going to happen. When the guy on TV tells you to send 20 bucks and he'll tell you when Jesus is coming back, don't listen to that. Someone's listening because he's flying around in a private jet and someone's paying for that. But we ought to be wary of that because no one knows the day or the hour that Jesus is going to return. But we ought to be living like it could happen at any moment, James tells us. James says we would be wise to wait expectantly, like the farmer, he says. The farmer knows that the harvest is coming, James says. And so everything that the farmer does, everything he or she does, from preparing the ground to planting the seed to tending the crop, is in preparation for what the farmer knows is coming, and that is the harvest. And James says that should be your life. That the way you live every moment of your day should be an expectation of what you know is coming. You know Jesus is coming back. You know that's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen in your lifetime, it's going to happen at some point that you will see him face to face. And you ought to be living your life with tomorrow in mind. You ought to be living your days with that expectation that you are going to see Jesus face to face. And so he says, don't grumble against each other. Don't fight with one another. These are the people you're spending eternity with, by the way. Look around you. So be nice to one one another. If we follow Jesus Christ, we're going to be together a long time. James says, don't grumble against each other. Instead, wait together with purpose. And he talks about the prophets, and he talks about Job. And if you're not too familiar with the Old Testament and those people, I'll try to summarize quickly. The prophets were people that were new that Jesus was coming one day. They knew the Messiah was coming. They didn't know if it was in a year or 2,000 years, but they knew it was coming. And they waited expectantly. And they didn't just wait. James, I think, chooses the prophets for a specific reason. James is not saying, listen, sit on the couch and do nothing because Jesus is coming back. He's saying, wait like the prophets. The prophets were out there telling people to follow God, telling people to trust in him, calling out injustice where it existed. And James says, you're to wait with purpose. Go and do the work God has given you to do because he is coming back. And he also uses Job. And if you don't know the story of Job, Job was the most righteous person of his day, the Bible tells us. He lost everything in a few moments, all his wealth, his entire family except for his wife. 
And yet he remained faithful to God through it all. And in the end, God blessed him with more than he had in the beginning. And James's audience would have been very familiar with Job. And so he's saying, be like Job. Don't lose faith because it seems like the promise is not coming. Don't lose faith because life is difficult sometimes and, and, and the promise is not coming. You know the promise is going to happen, so wait faithfully for it. Sometimes it can feel like God's taking a long time to bring resolution to this world, can't it? You look back in church history and pretty much every generation lived like they were going to see Jesus return. And even now in the church, you'll hear people sometimes, look at the world around us. Jesus is definitely coming back soon. And you wonder, right? I mean, I hope so. I hope he's coming back soon. But a lot of people have thought that. I think the disciples thought that Jesus was going to come back before they died. That was 2,000 years ago. Certainly people like Martin Luther saw it thought it in the 1500s. He wrote that a number of times. And now so people are saying it today too. And it seems like sometimes God is taking a long time to do what he promised. In moments like that, I think we're wise to remember what Peter wrote about the same time that James wrote in his book. And this is what he said. He said, scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And they will say, where is the promise of his coming? But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And James is saying, when it feels like God's taking a long time to do what he's promised, it's just a matter of perspective. We have on our wall, in our uh, family room, a big advent calendar right now. And the advent calendar has 25 slots and there's different, for us, different uh, characters, people from the Bible story that go in there and then we pick one out each day and there's verses to read and things. And uh, we do this every single night with uh, our two oldest children, with, with Caitlin, who's seven, and Jackson, who's four. We go to the advent calendar and they pick out their piece of paper. Well, last night we did December 15th. And I'll tell you what happens when I look at that advent calendar. I look at that advent calendar, and I say to myself, you've got to be kidding me. It's only 10 more days until Christmas. This thing is coming fast. Now, Lori has about 700 things to do to get ready for Christmas. I have about two and a half, all right? That's just how it works. She has finished all 700. Uh, I'm still getting started on my two and a half. And so I look at that. I look at that and I say to myself, this thing is coming so fast. I cannot believe how fast Christmas is coming. My kids look at that date, the 15th, and what do they say? This is taking forever. Why does it take so long for Christmas to come? We do this every single night. We've done it 15 times and we still have to do it 10 more times before it's going to be Christmas. It's just a matter of perspective, isn't it? And the same thing between us and God. God's perspective is different. He lives outside of our time and space. And so what seems like a long time to us is nothing to God. It's happening quite quickly to him, Peter says. And so we ought not to give up hope, James says, but wait expectantly for what is going to come. Let me ask you this. How would your day look different if you really believed that Jesus was coming back tonight? How would your day look different today? How would this week look different if you really believed at any moment this week Jesus Christ could come back and you'd see him face to face. 
I bet our screens would go off a whole lot more and our Bibles would be open a whole lot more. I bet the, the challenge and the discipline of spending quiet time with God and spending time in prayer would become a whole lot easier if we really believed he was coming back. I bet we'd be willing to risk our reputation and risk what people think about us to go and tell them what the truth is about God and Jesus Christ. That we wouldn't care. Maybe it would cost us our job. Maybe it would cost us a friend. Maybe it would cost us a family member. We wouldn't care about that because we would be living with the reality that Jesus is going to come back. And so we ought to get busy doing what he's called us to do. I bet we would spend a whole lot more time speaking out against the injustice that exists in this world and trying to do what we can to make it better and make it more godly. Our lives would change dramatically if we really believed this. What would God do with a church with a group of people where we were really willing to believe this, that Jesus might come back at any moment? How would it change the way that we spend our time? How would it change the way that we spend our resources? How would it change the way that we spend the moments of our day? I think we ought to be challenged by that. I'm gonna invite our worship team back as we, as we begin to close this morning. And as we do, just share with you a, a quick story. I went to a small college in Iowa. And... Uh, if, if I could have, I would have loved to play on the basketball team in college, but God decided at my birth that wasn't going to happen. Just chose not to gift me in that way. And so I did the next best thing when I was in college because we had a, even though it was a small school, we had a really good basketball program. I just roomed with basketball players and then just lived vicariously through them. When they won, I won, right? And so uh, we got our junior, my junior year of college, we got a new basketball coach. And he came in. And he put all over the gym and he put in the weight room and he put on the, the binders and things that I would see that, that uh, players would bring back to the apartment. Uh, he put one phrase and it said, with the end in sight. And he came to the team that year, his first year, and he said, gentlemen, we are going to do every single thing that we do with the end in sight. And for them, that was winning a, champ a national championship in our division. He wouldn't do every single thing we do with the end in sight. So when it's the off season and we're running the stairs on the bleachers, we're going to do it with the championship trophy in mind. When we're shooting free throws and practicing rebounds and doing all of those drills that none of us like and have done a million times, we're going to do them with everything that we have because we're going to do them with the end in sight. And when we play the game, we're going to play each game throughout the regular season with the championship trophy in mind. And sure enough, that first year, they went to the national championship game and lost. And the next year, they went back to the national championship game and they won because they practiced and they prepared and they played with the end in sight. James is coming to you this morning and saying to you, live your life with the end in sight. Jesus is coming back. You are going to see him face to face. So live every moment of every day with that reality in mind. Don't live just for today. Live for tomorrow. And know that Christ is coming again. That ought to impact every moment of our lives. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather... We do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website, 
at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E dot O-R-G, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.